0: Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. It is one of those events that is etched in our minds. Every one of us can remember exactly where we were when we heard that news for the very first time. And it was unbelievable. A plane had flown in to the World Trade Center and then a second plane, and all of a sudden the realization was this wasn't an accident. And then we heard about a plane crashing to the Pentagon, and then a fourth plane down in Shanksville, Pennsylvania. And I remember, and, and you probably do too, I remember watching, and, and, and the one thing that I did not experience, the one thing I did not expect, never thought would possibly happen, happened. Because I don't know about you, but as I watched those twin towers burning, I just had this assumption inside of me. Yes, this is bad. Yes, there's going to be tremendous casualties. But the firemen are going to get there. And and the fire's going to be put out. And yes, it's going to be horrible. But but we'll survive it. And then, watch not one, but both of these huge towers just crumble down. And I don't know about you, but for me, it was like this... Everything inside of me collapsed. This feeling of hopelessness, helplessness, and 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 it was amazing in the weeks, days, and weeks that followed after that. How different it was! Everywhere you went, people were a little kinder. <laughs> Remember this? This was only ten years ago. Remember, people were kinder to each other, more polite more understanding, more compassionate towards each other. I remember every phone call after that ended with whoever I was talking with said, I love you. Because I didn't want to hang up the phone. Without that some person knowing that, in fear that that might possibly be the last conversation. What if it was? Because one of the things that happened is we became very much aware of our own Mortality, And here we are 10 years later, and we're just as grumpy and crabby as we ever were. <laughs> and those old family squabbles and spot, spats are still going on. In fact, I remember the, the Sunday immediately afterwards, people flocked to churches looking for an answer, looking for for some sense of hope, looking for something, for comfort, for something. And and, and here we are 10 years later, and and the Barnard Group just did a a recent survey. There has been no appreciable difference in 10 years, no lasting appreciable difference in people's church attendance, in their habits of Bible reading and prayer. And it's amazing. And And you think in the last 10 years, but all the things that we have seen Two earthquakes, huge earthquakes in Haiti and Japan and tsunamis in Indonesia, Japan. Things that we've experienced, the economic meltdown and, and the personal things that every one of us have faced in the last 10 years or are facing right this very moment. And you kind of get to a point where you just kind of get to a point of resignation. It's like, well, this is, this is just the way it's going to be. But this morning, I want to talk to you about something far greater than just resignation. I want to talk to you about hope. Hope, lasting hope, real hope, meaningful hope, deep down, gut level hope. The kind of hope that sustains you in the middle of a world that seems to be hopelessly crumbling around us. So we started with the bad news, but we're going to go to the good news. And if you want to follow along, it's in Romans chapter 8. I want to read to you. These words, by the way, this is written by the apostle Paul who experienced beatings and floggings and jail and everything for his faith. He wrote to a church in Rome that not not long after this was going to experience a devastation among their people and horrendous evils put on them because of their faith. And this is what Paul wrote. Verse 22, we know then that all all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. And in the same way, the spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know how we ought to pray, but the spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. Verse 28, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Verse 31, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against this? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? And then verse 35, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Verse 39, know in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced... That neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is a message of hope. Now, there's a whole lot in that passage, and I'm going to just be kind of hitting the 50,000-foot view because I want you to see the big picture because Paul is a man who discovered hope, a lasting, living hope, despite whatever he was going through in his own personal life, who imparted imparted hope to people no matter what they were going through. And it's words for us today, and they're words that he learned. These are are things that we must learn to be hopeful people because there's some key learnings here about hopefulness see hopeful people you sustain hope when you understand this world is not the way it's supposed to be and you got to understand that this world is not the way it's supposed to be The, the story of scripture is the story of God's redeeming something that's been broken from Genesis to Revelation, that is the unfolding of this story that God is fixing what is broken. And it goes all the way back to the Genesis account when sin entered the world. And when sin entered the world, it polluted and contaminated everything. All of creation, Paul says. And, and, and the problem is, we, we think of sin as a behavior, we think of sin as an action. Um, pastors will tell you this because we get this all the time. People come to you and they'll ask a question along the lines of, so pastor, is it a sin too? You know, and then they name it. As, and what they're really asking is, is it okay if I do this? You know, <laughs> they don't say that. They say, is it a sin? To, because we think a sin, we think sin is an action. We think it's a behavior. What the Bible teaches is sin is a cancer. Sin is a cancer that infects all of creation. All of creation is infected with this fatal disease called sin and it destroys everything. He says creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. What he says is there that God has chosen to let sin run its course for now. And I think one of the reasons he does this is because he wants us to understand that this is something far, far insidious, this is far more toxic than we think it is a cancer and it infects everything and we see the results of it all around us in major catastrophes and even in our own lives he goes on he says he says he did in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay what he's saying is nothing in this world is secure it is all subjected to this bondage of decay everything when 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 I get up in the morning and I look in the mirror and I realize there's less hair than there was. That's bondage to decay, okay? You know, when you have a little bit of trouble straightening up and the back's not, that's bondage to decay. When the World Series champions last year are nine and a half games out, that's bondage to decay. (laughs) It's, It's the world that we live in. And we experience it in all kinds of different ways. We experience it in major catastrophes. We just experience it on a daily level. Because this world is not the way it's supposed to be. And we have a hard time believing that, particularly in the United States, because we have built so many securities around us. We have built so many walls that we can lean our ladders against. We have built, we've built all this infrastructure to protect us and, 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 and to keep us from that kind of evil and some of them are very, very good protections, but ultimately, even the best of protections give way. Even the good that we hope for will eventually disappoint because of this bondage to decay. We experience it all the time. We don't want to give in to it, but it's there. There's a store in every shopping mall in America, just about, called Forever 21. Do you know who shops there? Not 21-year-olds. It's this desire we have to, 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 to insulate ourselves from this bondage to decay. But he says, this is the world that we live in, and it's not the way we it's supposed, supposed to be. And even the good things that we put our hope in are false hopes. The plans that we make, the education that we pursue, the home that we love, the job that we enjoy, the retirement we're preparing for. He says all of that stuff you've got to understand. Don't put your hope there because it's subject to this bondage to decay. This is the world that we live in. And hopeful people understand that. But they understand not only with that, but also that there is a reality now that is bigger than my own. This world This reality is subject to decay. It's in this bondage of decay. But there is something more. See, that's one of the things of bondage of decay. That's one of the things that's subjected to frustration does. It creates in us this longing for something more. There ought to be something more. Things ought to be better than they are. Paul put it this way. Creation has been groaning. Groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. Not only so, he says, but, but we ourselves, we who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we believers, we groan. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption. We are looking forward to something more. Because way down deep inside of you and inside of me, deeper than our upbringing, deeper than our aspirations, deeper than our, than our, um, than our circumstances, way down at the core of our being, there is a longing for something better, for something more. And it's based on this belief that that things are not the way they're supposed to be. And we say that. When you see something, you say, well, that's not right. Or you're not treating him fairly. Or that isn't good. Where do we get that idea? It's because deep inside of us, we have this sense that there is a way things ought to be. There is a way I ought to behave. And it's that longing that we have. It's that groaning. And the groaning, what he says, is it's intended to lead us to life. He says it's the groaning as if the pains of childbirth. Now, I have not born a child. And we went through, um, you know, natural childbirth classes that were supposed to alleviate the pain. But when I checked with my wife, she assured me there was still some pain there, you know? The pain is real. The, the sufferings and the groanings and all the stuff that we experience, and that, that's very, very real stuff. But what it's reminding us of, of is that there is something more, and that's what we are longing for. And that is what God is ushering in. It's the pains of childbirth. And when we, when we hook our lives, when we, when we couple our lives, our hopes, in that truth, in that reality, we begin to understand that we are living between two realities now sometimes called the now and the not yet kingdom of God. That we have tastes of it. We get experiences of it from time to time in this life, but it is leading for something greater. He says, for in this hope, we were saved. We, for, for if we hope for what we do not yet have, he says, we wait for it patiently. Now, that's, that's a really bad translation, and it's because... The word, it's a very complex compound word. Um, The New Living Translation gets a little bit better. We wait for it patiently and confidently, but that doesn't even get it because it's it's a compound word made up of all kinds of different parts. And it has to do with this idea that there is something that we are separated away from, but we hold on to it. That, that's in, in the Greek, and I'll give you the word, but you won't remember it anyway, so why bother? It, 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 what it means is this, that we are separated from something, and yet still being separated, we grasp onto it. That's hope. That's what hope is all about, that we are separated from what we know, what we know ought to be. And though we cannot yet fully realize it, we grab onto that. I was thinking this week about hope and faith and, and how they work together. And this is the best explanation I could come up with. That hope, hope is, is the thing that sets the direction for my life. When I say this is my hope, whatever it might be, my eternal hope, my, my hope for my future, whatever it might be, I, I have a hope. It's, something, it's what I set my direction for. It's what I set my affections on. It's the direction that I set for my life. That's hope. Faith Faith is the individual steps that I take that get me there. Does that make sense? See, hope is about the future. It's about what's not yet. But because of my hope, I have this faith and I take specific steps that lead me in that direction. Because I believe that there is something more. I set my hope on it. Which means means that I keep on loving even if I don't get loved back because that's the kingdom of God. I keep serving, even if I don't get a thank you or recognition, because that's the kingdom of God. That's where I've set my hope. I keep loving. I keep serving. I keep forgetting whether I'm forgiving, whether I get forgiven back or anyone acknowledges. They need my forgiveness. I do it because this is my hope, and these are the steps that I keep taking in that direction. And every time I take a step in that direction, my hope grows. Because it's not yet, but it's where I'm going. And hopeful people understand that. Something else hopeful people understand is that in the meantime, God is at work. God is at work and he's at work even in times of crisis. God is at work even in the darkness because this is what God does. Verse 28, he says, so we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. Now, he's not saying that every experience is good. He doesn't even say that we will experience good outcomes all the time. We may not see those in this life. But what we do know is that in all things, even in the crises, even in the personal crises, the national crises, the world crises, even in the darkest times of our life, God is still at work. That is the promise that he makes. The promise he makes is that God works in all things. And when God works in all things, he works good. So ultimately, no matter what, I believe and I hold on to the fact God is at work here. God is at work here. I was reading, I was watching one of the specials. I don't know if you've been doing this. We've been like every night, we recorded all these 9-11 specials and we've been watching them. Kind of gets depressing after a while. But there's also some surges of hope. Um, And and one of them was a story, it was the special I think was called The Heroes of the 88th Floor. And these guys that that got thousands of people out of there, rescued them. Um, And one of the guys that was rescued talks about, he was like on the 89th floor. The guys actually went up, found him, got him to the stairwell. He got out and he got out just far enough away as the building collapsed and that big cloud of smoke and dust and ash and all that was coming. And, and he was just running for dear life and he, and he ducked into this um, restaurant, I think it was. And, and he's in there, there's a bunch of people and the place just goes completely dark from all of the dust and everything outside. And it's just overwhelming. And he says, I just sat there and I just broke down and I cried. I just, I couldn't stop. I just kept bawling my eyes out. And, and a lady came over and identified herself as a police person, as a police woman. And, and she said, to, he said, she said to me, it's okay. What you're suffering is post-traumatic stress syndrome. And he looked at her and he says, isn't this still the trauma? <laughs> I was mean, just like one of those, you had to laugh, you know? There's been a lot of research done on post-traumatic stress syndrome, but there's been newer research on post-traumatic growth. That there is actually something that difficulties and crises can actually actually produce growth in us. It can cause us to deepen our relationships, to reorder our priorities, to do things differently, to treat people differently. That crises can do that. It really comes down to what you choose. And if there's any group of people that ought to be able to be hopeful, it is those who know that this world is not the way it's supposed to be, but there is something better coming, and in the meantime, God's still working. See, that's how you grow from all of this. People can grow through hardship and crisis and come out changed, better people. One of the questions that was asked over and over again and has, continues to be asked at every crisis, at every difficult time, People say, where is God? Why doesn't God do something? And Paul answers that question. And what he says is, he has. See, the reason we have this hope is, and the reason that we know that God is working in all these things is, because he did not spare his own son, but gave him up for his own. That God has been working redemptively all through creation, all through this story. And, and ultimately, on the cross, when Jesus Christ gave up his life and suffered the brutality, the incredible brutality unleashed on him, he did it, absorbing that pain for us. Where is God in times of crisis? Just look at the cross. He's there with us. He's there working. If you had asked, I, I believe if you would ask the disciples, not long after all of this, what was the darkest moment for you guys? What, what was the time when it just felt like all hope was gone and, and, and all that you had done was just a waste of time, a waste of energy? And I bet to, to, a, to, a, to a disciple, every one of them would say, it was the moment we stood and watched, watched him crucified. Because all of our hopes had been placed on him and now it was all over. Because he was dead. But I bet if you asked him, what was the time that God was doing his greatest work in this world? Every one of them would tell you, that very same time. That very same time. And that's the experience of many of us in this room. Many of us know it's in those darkest moments that we have found hope. It's in those darkest moments that we have been changed by God. We wouldn't choose those things. We don't don't want those kinds of crises. We don't want to be dealing with stuff we're dealing with right now. But what we do know is that God is at work. And over and over again as we do our baptisms and people talk about, I finally had to hit bottom. I had to get to the point where I was completely done with myself. I had to get to the point where I realized my own powerlessness because that's what crises do. They strip us of this illusion that we have that we are in control. And a crisis comes us to the reality that we are not. And in the middle of that stands a Savior who knows us and who knows crises. And so he says, because of that now, what we begin to understand as hopeful people is greater than what I hope in, greater than the things that I put my hope in is the one I put my hope in. Greater than the things that I hope for is the one that I put my hope in. Because that's what he goes on. He finishes because he's not done with this. He says in verse 35, so who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or sword, danger or sword? He just goes over and over and again. And what he's saying is the cornerstone of our hope is not our experience. The cornerstone of our hope is not a particular outcome or result. The corner of our hope is a person. It's a person. The person specifically of Jesus Christ. He says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And the only way to maintain unfailing hope when everything seems to be hopelessly crumbling around you is to put your faith and your hope in him. Anything else you put your hope in is going to disappoint. It will ultimately come up short because true hope is grounded in this deeper hope that is found in Christ Jesus. And that's what Paul is saying from his own experience to a church that is about to go through something horrendous. He says, you don't give up hope because no matter what happens, God is at work. This world is not the way it's supposed to be. There is something better. And in the meantime, God is at work. So keep your faith and your hope in him. You and I, we have a choice about that. Every one of us, we have a choice about that. Hopeful people choose Hope. Even when it seems darkest, even when it doesn't make sense, even if you're wondering, God, where are you? Hopeful people say, even if I'm hanging on by my fingernails, I hang on. Because this world is not the way it's supposed to be. But there is something better. And God is at work in the meantime. So I put my hope in him. Would you bow your heads? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Benicia, California.